Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this place that we can come and worship and praise you. We just lift up Patty and Bill this morning, Lord, and pray that you bless their day and put your healing hand upon Bill and uh, just help them to stay through this day and every day, Lord, as they bring the word of God, as they preach, as they teach, as they go into the world and um, make a difference for people. And, and the result of that, Lord, is that people come to you. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to be in chapter 49 in Genesis this morning. Page 68, okay? I heard somebody say that a long time ago, and I thought that was pretty neat. So Um, so we're going to look into chapter 49 of Genesis this morning, which is the blessing of the sons of Jacob just before Jacob passes on to go home to be with the Lord. The beginning of the history of this event begins way back in the family of Jacob with a man named Abram. Abram was called by God out of the pagan place called Ur of the Chaldees. And the Lord, you know, got a hold of him and moved him out of there. And Ur of the Chaldees was a very progressive city. It had a lot of education, libraries, things like this. So a lot of people feel that, a lot of the scholars feel that the 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 story of the creation and everything was there in their libraries and things like that. And he, and he might have had an opportunity to look at that, uh, through that through that city library. We don't know that to be a fact. That's conjecture on some people's part, but it makes a little bit of sense. So that began Abram's journey with God as God had a purpose and a plan for him along the way. God would enter into covenant with Abraham, and uh, he would do things like that. And uh, at that time, he changed his name to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. And you can see that in chapter 17 here in Genesis. In Genesis 17, verse 4, it says, As for me, behold, my covenant was with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. So this is the the promise made to Abraham that down the line, as time goes on, this, this group of people that he starts out with is going to grow and grow and grow. And verse 5, 17, 5 says, Neither shall thy name be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. So part of the covenant is that Abraham and Sarah, his wife, will have a son. At this point in time, they don't have any children. Also, Abraham will be given all the land of Canaan. It's a large area. It's a pagan area at the time. For an everlasting possession. That doesn't mean for a week, a month, a year. That means to this very day today and into the future. And the complete covenant is an everlasting covenant. It's never going to go away. It's going to be fulfilled as the steps of time go on. And we're seeing different things over the years where it has been. But there's a few, there's some things that still have to be fulfilled. And there's seven distinct parts of the covenant. We won't get into that this morning, but take a peek at it. It's very interesting when you look at the nation of Israel today 
and look at what's going on and look at what's there and, and see where it stacks up against the covenant. So we all know the story of Abraham and Sarah. They decide, even though the Lord said he would give them a family, they decide to take things into their own hands. Um, and Abram, uh, through the maid of Sarah, has a son, and his name is Ishmael. But he's not the son of promise. He's not the one that God promised uh, to Abraham. But Abraham and uh, Sarah decided they, they wanted a child, and they had a child, and um, this wasn't the one that the Lord had promised. So the plan God has for Sarah is to become pregnant and Abraham and Sarah to have a son together. And Isaac is born when Abraham is 100 years old. Kind of an amazing thing when you think about it. And Sarah is 90 years old, having a birth at 90 years old. Uh, it has to be God. It has to be God-ordained. Uh, this fulfilled God's word for chapter 18, verse 14, that says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? There's nothing too hard for God. If he can bring a child to these two people, he can do anything for us. Um, so Abraham has the son, and he names him Isaac, and he marries a woman named Rebekah, and they have two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob is the one that we're going to concentrate on this morning. But in Genesis chapter 25, we're told that Rebekah is having twins. The first appears to appear at the birth is Esau, and then holding on to his heel is Jacob. He's called the heel catcher. But he's been a, he's a pretty aggressive, ambitious little man, even in his first moments of birth. So, so as they grow, we see Jacob becoming kind of devious. And he convinces Esau to sell his birthright, which is a really important thing in this family. And he sold it for a bowl of pottage. And uh, sometimes later, the second most important thing is he steals the father's blessing. That's what we're going to talk about as far as Jacob this morning, his blessing. But it all starts back uh, back at this time with Abraham. The, the blessing moves forward in the family and things like that. And he steals it from Esau, and he deceives his father. And uh, the result is that Isaac bestows his blessing on Jacob when it should have went to the other son, Esau. Later on, we see the Lord appear to Jacob in a dream, and the Lord confirms the Abrahamic covenant with him. So God is blessing this at that time. Now, Jacob uh, marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel. They each have a handmaiden who Jacob will father children with also. And out of these four unions come the 12 sons of Jacob from the four women that are the wife of Jacob. In the meantime, in chapter 32 of Genesis, we find that Jacob has a wrestling match with a man from night till morning. And Jacob wrestles, um, and he wouldn't let go of the man until he blessed him. And the man is recorded as saying in Genesis chapter 31, uh, verse 27 to 29, he said to him, what is thy name? This is uh, Jacob talking. And uh, I'm sorry, it's the other way around. It's the Lord talking to Jacob. And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For a prince has thou power with God and men and has prevailed. And verse 29 says, and Jacob asked him and said, 
tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou do ask my name? And after this, he blessed him. A lot of scholars think this is Jesus. Doesn't say it, but, you know. Um, but Jacob had a, a change in his life after he wrestled with this man. And uh, we're going to see some of those changes as we step through uh, the blessings and see how the different sons came to receive that. So Jacob is now Israel. He changes his name, Israel. And um, he has 12 sons, and he begins to turn his life from evil to God, godly ways. I think it's kind of like a lot of us who are going through the sanctification process in life, you know. We've come to the Lord, I don't care if it was five years old or 55 years old. That process happens, and God changes us as long as we keep our eyes on him and, and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. He's going to take us through times. He's going to take us through trials, tribulations. He's going to take us through things to stretch us, to make us go from... A Jacob to an Israel. Um, as a result, we see that um, his sons are living, some of them with honor, some of the 12 sons, and some with dishonor. As a result, we see that his son Joseph, Israel's favorite son, is sold off into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt. But this is part of God's plan, too. This is to separate the nation of Israel, eventually, as we'll see, into a nation by themselves, so that they would not, excuse me for a second, so they would not intermarry into the pagan nations of Egypt and Canaan, although one of the sons did, but it was prior to this time. So um, Joseph is a man of God. He faces trials and turmoil. But in his life, he always keeps his faith in God. As a result, he ends up being second in command in Egypt. Again, part of God's plan. A famine is great in Canaan and the sons of Israel. It's also a famine in Egypt. But the Egyptians have already set aside warehouses and storehouses to save food so that this seven-year famine, they'll be able to get through it. And then Joseph does some amazing things with the people in that nation to make sure that they don't die and make sure that their livestock is alive and all this other stuff. So um, so the family comes to Egypt. They don't recognize Joseph, but it creates the whole, uh, a situation where the whole family's together again, Jacob and his 12 sons. And the Pharaoh gives them the best land called Goshen. It's an area, it borders uh, on the ocean part of it, and the brothers are all together again. So this is God's plan of separating the nation of Israel away from pagan people because the Egyptians wanted no part of the shepherds. They didn't want any part of hanging out with the people that were shepherds. They just detested them. And they were fine with them being away from the Egyptians. Okay, So there's two nations growing there, the nation of Egypt and the nation of Israel. So from this area called Goshen, they would marry and raise their families solely through the 12 families of Israel and not be marrying into other nations. They would remain in Egypt for four generations or 400 years and eventually be led from Egypt by Moses. And by the time the exodus happened, there were well over a million people that were marching through the Red Sea. This was 
And this is what we're, you know, the whole purpose of what God was trying to do here. And uh, they crossed through it, and they started out for the promised land. So we're going to backtrack a little bit. Chapter 49, we're going to look at. In today's scripture, we'll go back at the time when Israel or Jacob is close to death. And he'll give his blessing to the 12 sons according to the way they have lived their lives before God. This is a legacy. This is the legacy of these men. And we all have a legacy. And as we look through it, we can look at things that were done and things that were not done and things that were done great. And we can look at our lives and kind of measure it and kind of look and say, how, do, how have I lived my life as a Christian? You know, am I following after the Lord? We all have problems. We all sin. But we have a legacy. And our people are looking at that. Our families are looking at that. Our neighbors are looking at that. You know, we're under constant kind of supervision or, or vision of people. So roughly half the book of Genesis devoted to the messy, complicated life of Jacob. This is a good thing because we can learn from this. We can look at it and say, well, look what he's done with Jacob. What can he do with me? You know, He is the final patriarch. There was Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. So when Israel talks about their patriarchs, those are the three. Sometimes they throw in Joseph, but technically the first three I mentioned are the patriarchs. He often re- This is uh, Jacob. He often relies on deceit rather than trusting God. He frequently brought his family misery because of his mistakes. And yet he also demonstrated remarkable growth and maturity, especially in his later years. He relied on God for protection in the face of his enemies. It was the first place he went to, Lord, help me, you know, and never lost faith in God's promises. That's something for us to learn is that we never lose. Everything in this Bible is God's promises, and he will give them to us, and he will restore us with them, and he will embrace us with them. And and, um, we should never lose faith in the word of God or in God's promises. It's so encouraging to see Jacob in such a good place at the end of his life. You know, it isn't so much how you start, it's how you finish. It's like a race, running a... I've never run a marathon, I've run a half marathon. I know, start out really kind of, oof, first five miles, and then you keep on going. Then all of a sudden you get a little extra. You might take more water on and things like that, and you finish strong. You're, you're sprinting to the finish line, and that's what we should be doing as Christians. Sprinting, not walking, not crawling, but sprinting. So as we walk with the Lord, though, hold his hand, we grow like him. Because he's given us his word. He's given us the way to do it. We actually earn our merit badges, so to speak, experience the discipline of the Lord and profiting from it. You know, if we don't get anything through discipline and things like that, we're not learning. We're not growing. And it's sometimes difficult to see, but we should always keep our eyes on the Lord. But the key is to remain in that walk. Don't run away from it. Staying firm in our faith. Uh, enduring the trials, trusting in God who brings us through them. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And that's Jacob now. That's who this man has turned out to be. The deceiver is now walking with the Lord, and, and it's an amazing thing. We've said it required the Lord to turn the pagan Abram into the patriarch Abraham. 
And it also required the Lord to turn a disobedient Jacob into obedient Israel. And, you know, that's the way life goes, you know. Turn around, it's raising kids. Raising kids is a, a great challenge in life, you know. You think you might know it until you have kids. And then by the time the kids are grown up, you thought, well, why didn't I know all this when they were little? Because that wasn't the plan. The plan was for you to grow and the kids to grow and to learn the different things to raise a family. So um, God can do the same for us. So when we enter chapter 49, Jacob is near death, ready to transfer his inheritance to his sons. But before he dies, he pronounces a prophetic blessing upon his sons. So let's look at the uh, first verse, Genesis 49.1. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what we befall you in the days to come. As the chapter begins, Jacob summons his sons and he tells them he's going to pronounce a prophetic blessing upon them. And Jacob says that this will be what will befall Israel in the days to come. The English translation's a little kind of weak on this, but in Hebrew, the phrase reads, what will befall Israel in the latter days, in the days of uh, when the nation is, you know, uh, coming on the scene or the days of the end, just prior to the appearance of our Lord. Jacob is speaking about what will come upon Israel at the end of this age, prior to the kingdom of the Messiah being established. When Jesus rules on earth, can't wait for that time. It's going to be the greatest time on earth, to, to quote a phrase. So Jacob is going to speak a specific prophetic blessing concerning the tribe of Israel that comes from each son. So Jacob begins with Reuben because he's the first son. And he's the firstborn of Leah, his first wife. In verse 2, 49-2, uh, through 49-4, gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, and you went up to my couch. Pretty serious business. Prior to this, we didn't hear a lot about Jacob rebuking him, but this is the moment he's going to do it. Jacob doesn't proceed in exact birth order. Instead, he addresses the sons of each wife in turn, beginning with Leah and then moving uh, to the two concubines and then ending with the sons of, of uh, Rachel, the last two sons. Under normal circumstances, we should have expected Reuben to receive the birthright and the best blessing. It goes to the firstborn, but it's not going to happen. Um, but instead, Reuben is given a rebuke. His father's going back in time and saying, okay, this is where you are today because of what you did in the past. But not before Jacob reminds Reuben of what he could have been. Uh, Jacob says that Reuben was the firstborn, the beginning of Jacob's strength, beginning of his family, and the son who was positioned to be the preeminent son in the family. But Reuben forfeited this opportunity when he went and had a relationship with his um, stepmother. In Hebrew, Jacob says Reuben was boiling over like water, which suggests Reuben's uncontrollable lust 
and he was undisciplined. He was all over the place. He was disqualified from receiving these blessings and the inheritance because of his lust for his father's wife. Uh, Reuben's prophecy is a reminder that men and women who do not act to discipline the flesh and control their lust run the risk of disqualifying themselves of many of the blessings that God wants to give us. Our new birth in Christ brings a new opportunity, you know, the chance to start fresh in serving God rather than serving ourselves. And, and service to God brings with it potential for reward. And the blessings that come are incredible. But we can disqualify ourselves from the blessings of service if faith is shipwrecked by lust and undisciplined lifestyles. And that could be in no, any number of things. Don't be naive and think God won't hold us accountable. Because as we see here, this is like an example of the discipline that... Um, when our sins are going to come before the Lord and we're going to appear. And, and uh, basically uh, be given like maybe a movie of our life. You know, maybe it's something like that and we're going to look back on it. That's why it's so very important to live the life that's sold out for Jesus Christ. Not 50%, not 70%, but 100%. But Jacob took note and now he holds Reuben accountable. Uh, this blessing reflects the character of Reuben's tribe. Even the people after him were affected by this. He was a man of great promise that amounted to nothing. Uh, likewise, the tribe of Reuben never produced anyone of significance. There were no judges, no prophets, no leaders, any of them. None of them came out of the tribe of Reuben. In fact, Moses prays in Deuteronomy that Reuben's tribe would fade away since it was so small and shrunk. It shrunk as time went on, and it became so small that it was insignificant, didn't have any effect on the nation of Israel or the people around them. We never want to end up that way. As people, we want to have the most influence that we can have in our workplace, in our home, on the street, not just when people are looking, but when people aren't looking. You know, it doesn't matter. So in verse 5, we'll read verse 5 to 7. I'm going to talk about Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Uh, Genesis 49.6 says, Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-fold they, they lamed oxen. And uh, verse 7 says, Cursed be the anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So Jacob leaves, now deals with the second and third sons of Leah, Simeon and Levi. These brothers are forever connected by their misdeeds in Shechem. They went over there because uh, their sister um, was uh, dishonored by the men, by a man over there. And, um, you know, they were going over there to get revenge. Their, their motives were evil. You know, God... We'll take care of those things. They had vengeance and wrath in their hearts, and they reacted in anger. You know, a lot of times we do things in life, and we, we want to get wrath. You know, we want to take care of things. But the quiet thing to do is to step back and pray about it and let the Lord do it, and, you know, and, and see what he does. And he will do, do things. And they re reacted in anger. Anger will never turn out. There is righteous anger, but mostly anger will never turn out 
into a good thing. They murdered men and made animals uh, lame. So the Lord, speaking through Jacob, declares that the sin will receive a punishment in the history of Israel. The judgment falls on their seed and that it would be scattered. Um, if, if you look at the... Uh, could you put up the map, please? This is the map of Israel when they came out for um, out of the Promised Land. This is described in Joshua. But if you look at the land and where they were, and then we'll get into this a little bit more, but you'll see that um, they were kind of insignificant. You don't even see Levi because Levi was put in each family, each area that they went into in small groups as the priests. They didn't have land for themselves. They actually had to share it with other, other parts of the family. But neither Simeon nor Levi received any land of their own. Instead, they lived entirely inside other tribes. By pronouncing these judgments on the tribes of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, God wasn't acting unfairly. Historians have noted that these individual sons seemed to pass their personalities on to the next generation and beyond. Um, and therefore, the Lord could be seen protecting Israel from their, themselves and their defects spreading throughout the tribes. But he was a fair God, still gave them the opportunity to be in Israel, the nation of Israel, and the, n- nobody would arise. Kings wouldn't arise uh, from this, uh, this group of men, this group of tribes. So we look at uh, verse 8 to verse 12. It's talking about Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Uh, Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. You have gone up, he, and he crouches down and lies down like a lion. This is an old man. He's ready to die, and he's doing this kind of thing. I don't think I could do that if I went down before I couldn't get back up again. Um, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Genesis 49.11. He ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes, and his eyes are dull from wine and his teeth white from milk. At this point, I imagine Jacob's sons were fidgeting around, thinking, we haven't heard anything good yet, uh, and beginning to wonder if there was a positive blessing that was going to come. But now it's time for that blessing. Judah is the first blessing along with Joseph's, and that, that uh, it's the longest blessing, both of the men. In verse 8, Jacob awards Judah with the prominence over his brothers as the preeminence. In this case, the closest the sons got to appointing a patriarch was to, to replace J- uh, Jacob was with Judah. In the case, an entire tribe received the uh, prominence within the family. They all got it. Uh, the tribe of Judah will ultimately see the other tribes bowing down. The prophecy of the coming age of kings of Israel from Judah. And that's later on. And we see clearly that the Lord intended to give Israel kings. And the sin of Israel in First Samuel wasn't the desire for a king. 
It was their rejection of the Lord's rule and their vain desire for a king. They took the appearance of a man and made him king when they made Saul king. But that wasn't God's choice. And we know that God's choice was the humble shepherd um, named David. And he's to this day, the people, the nation of Israel, look up to him in, in tremendous ways. And that impatience cost the nation dearly. Eventually, the Lord brought through the king that he wanted. Um, but Jacob's promise speaks of an eventual descendant later on down the road here, the Messiah who will reign over all Israel and all of the world. And this is the point that he's getting to. The promise is given to Judah exclusively in verse 9. Judah has promised great power. And that great power is when Jesus Christ reigns and rules upon the face of the earth. Judah is compared to a lion for the first time. Uh, The lion from the tribe of Judah is Jesus Christ. Judah will have power and authority and master over all its adversaries. A fitting picture for the coming Messiah. The kingship of Judah is further revealed. The scepter shall never depart from Judah, meaning it's going to be in the hands of the Lord, meaning the tribe will reign without end over Israel. And the staff not depart his feet, which is a picture of a judge ruling from the seat of judgment. And this is exactly everything that's described later in the Bible about Jesus. The word Shiloh is an interesting Hebrew word. It can be translated, he whose right it is. The Septuagint, the Syriac, and the Dead Sea Scrolls all translate the verse that way. It means the tribe of Judah will rule over Israel until the one whose right it is to rule comes to take the throne. And We can't wait for that day. It's going to be a glorious day. While the tribe of Judah will hold the rule over Israel from generation, once the Messiah comes, there'll be no succession. It's going to be that, that way for the rest of the way forward. And he will hold it forever. And he will rule over all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, uh, Jacob blesses the next six sons briefly. And he mentions each in verse 13 to 21. Zebulun will dwell at the seashore, and he shall be a haven for ships, and his flank shall be towards Sidon. And then, um, we'll, we'll put that up again, the, the map in a minute. Issachar is a strong donkey laying down between the sheepfolds. When he saw that a resting place was good and that the land was present, he bowed, bowed his shoulders to bear burdens and became a slave at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. And shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backwards. For your salvation I wait, O Lord. As for Gad, raiders shall raid him, but he will raid at their heels. And then in verse 20, as for Asher, his food shall be rich, and he will yield royal dainties. And then finally in verse 21, Naphtali is the doe. Let loose, he gives beautiful words. These all mean things. And the meaning of their names is within these verses also. For Zebulun, Jacob says his tribe will dwell at the seashore and the border of Sidon, the historical land of the Phoenicians. The problem is the territory assigned to Zebulun in the book of Joshua doesn't border the sea. The tribe is entirely landlocked. On the other hand, Ezekiel 48 describes the territory of each tribe during the millennial kingdom. 
And that's where they will be during the millennial kingdom. This is why it, it points to the end of times. And in that age to come, Zebulun does have the territory on the sea in the northwest corner of the nation, exactly where Jacob says it will be. Remember these instructions concern the latter days. This is further proof that the promises of God for Israel await the coming kingdom on earth. They go a long, long way. They stretch out into the future. We just don't take a small snapshot. We take the whole parade. You know, we're looking at a portion of the parade today as it passes us. But God looks at the whole thing. Uh, the pithy description of Iskar as a strong donkey lying down between sheep uh, communicates a lot about his character. He's physically strong. Donkeys are strong. Given over to manual labor and service, that's what a donkey does. Smart animal, too. They're smarter than a horse. They won't eat themselves to death. They work hard. They're loyal. But in lying down, he has a lazy streak, and he's not particularly ambitious. Once they rest, they want to rest. They don't want to get out. In verse 15, Jacob says this tribe will see the good land they're given in Canaan. They will seek for nothing more. In other words, they're not going to go anyplace. They're going to be happy where they're at. They will be strong workers in favor of the working land. But they will enjoy that role too much, being willing to accept a form of slavery working for others, and then uh, including Canaanites to maintain the produce of the land. So they just won't be working for the nation of Israel. They traded obedience to God for the material pleasures of the land. And, you know kind of look at that ourselves and, you know, what have we traded for our for our walk with the Lord sometimes when he's trying to get us going a certain direction or do a certain thing and we kind of ignore it or we take a portion of it and we don't take it all. You know, we're, we're serving ourselves instead of God. The tribe of Dan is an interesting case. Jacob says that in keeping with the meaning of the name, the tribe will be judges. The tribe of Dan produced Samson the most prominent of the judges. We all know the story of Samson. But Dan was also the first tribe to practice idolatry. So there's uh, two sides here. And Dan began the rebellion and eventually split the nation of Israel, divided the nation at some point in time. And Jacob alludes to these outcomes when he says that Dan is a serpent in the way of the nation. He'd be biting away. He'd be trying to, trying to slow them down or take them take them out of, the, out of the way that they're supposed to go. He bit at the horse's heels, causing Israel's downfall. That's what that means. And the nation did split. It became the uh, Israel and Judah. And that's all documented here in the Bible. Interestingly, Dan is not listed among the tribes of Revelation 7 of the 144,000. I called to evangelize the world. 144,000, as somebody described it, Billy Graham types that will go out throughout the world preaching the gospel. It's going to be an interesting time when that happens. I wonder what people are going to think. Dan's exclusion is often assumed to be a punishment, but I wonder if it has more to do with the tribe's name. Remember, Jesus said that until he returns for judgment, the times are devoted to salvation. And John twelve forty seven says, If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. That was Jesus' first mission. You know, 
Since Dan means to judge, perhaps he was left out of the 144,000 since those men are selected to continue the salvation work. See, it's kind of a little um, description of that. It isn't time for judgment as yet, though the time will be drawing near. It will be a time of judgment. Finally, Jacob says of Dan that they will await the salvation from the Lord. The Lord is going to bring them salvation. That The eyes of Israel today throughout the nation have been blinded. They, don't, they didn't see Jesus for what he was and who he was and what he did when he first came. And they're still in that position today, although some of them, there's a remnant called Messianic Jews, and they are serving the Lord. And they, they are bringing the message to, to different people. But all of this is in their eyes, and the, the scale is going to be taken off their eyes. And Jesus, and they're going to be like, wow, what a great day that will be. Finally, uh, Jacob says of Dan, he will await the salvation which will come from the Lord. It's not going to happen. We expect things to happen now, but things, great things are going to happen. They happen a little bit. As in this life that we have now, but later on, it's going to be gigantic. Despite Dan's failings, his tribe will be included in the kingdom with the rest of Israel enjoying the salvation of the Lord. So Jacob says relatively little about Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. Gad's territory was the easternmost border of Israel across the Jordan, as you can see on the map. So he was vulnerable to raids from the desert tribes. The tribes were excellent warriors and defended Israel well. And Asher now, we see, is given some of the best land in the nation, very fertile ground. As a result, the nation comes to enjoy rich food and literally means oily food, a symbol of richness. Oil was always a symbol of richness. It has a lot of different meanings. His tribe will produce delicacies for kings. I don't know exactly what that is, but I can think about it, you know, hot fudge sundaes. Uh, you know, all sorts of things, carrot cake. I'm making these things up, but that isn't what to, but that's what's in my brain, you know, um, as well as a lot of different uh, groups of food and things like that. Now, Naphtali, Jacob says the tribe will move like a doe set loose, and they're in a, a mountainous area. It's a reference to the way Naphtali's territory is very mountainous, creating a degree of independence among the tribe. You know, the mountains and the rocks and things like that give them a lot of peace because, you know, to be a soldier and to come, if you grow up there and understand the lay of the land as a protectorate, it's second nature. But if you're coming in like with an army and something like that and you face those kind of things, you have to be trained for it because you don't understand it. And there's, um, you know, you have to know what footing is. You have to know a lot of different things. But these people a foot loose and moved around like a deer and also gifted warriors. Deer, deer have such beautiful feet and balance and things like this. And uh, they move about the mountains and they, it's amazing when we see them, you know, on the side of a hill or a cliff and stuff and wonder how they're going to get out of there. And they gently and leisurely do it like nothing, be holding on to the rocks as a man or a woman who trying to make sure we don't fall off. Um, <clears throat> Finally, they are eloquent in speech and gifted with words. So the Lord has given them great speech and eloquence. So when they talk to people, they can be be respected and, and, and give them the things of the nation of Israel that people need to know. So we move to Joseph. 
Joseph is in verse uh, 22 to uh, 26. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. Branches run over a wall. The archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him. But his bow remained firm and his arms were agile. From the hands, if you ever shot a bow, that's what you need to do. You have to be firm, but you have to be agile. There's a correct way and an incorrect way to do it, and it's difficult. You think it's easy to go out and do those, but it's not. And these weren't the special ones like we have today, which kind of halfway do it for you. Uh, It was a gift. Um, And his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. From the God of your father who helps you and by the almighty who blesses you with the blessings of heaven, blessings of the deep that lie beneath, blessing of the breast and the womb, the blessings in in verse 26 here, the blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors up to the outmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. Joseph was a richly blessed He's the most blessed of the sons of Jacob in keeping uh, with his award of the birthright. He gets the birthright, and it's going to come through his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. But this man lived an incredible life. He lived a life dedicated to God. There's a lot of things he could have did and a lot of things he could have fallen with, but he didn't fall. He's an exemplary son. Um, But Joseph himself only received Jacob's land in Shechem. But his two sons, you can look at the map and you can see how much land they, they were given. And they were blessed for it. Nevertheless, the tribe of Jacob, which becomes two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh is the most blessed tribe. And uh, you can see that just in the, in the map above there, just the, the mass of land that they have. And in those days, land was everything. Uh, the blessing is pictured as a fruitful tree extending its branches outside the walls of the orchard. Although they had great influence among the rest of the nations. Then Jacob remembers the way Joseph was attacked by his brothers and Potiphar, and yet the Lord took care of Joseph. He goes and he kind of gives a reminder in these words that he's saying in the scripture. And in the end, Joseph became powerful as uh, pictured by a firm bow and strong arms means he was a powerful man. He became second in command in the nation of Egypt. And that was in God's plan. He went down there and was a servant in the house of Potiphar. We all know what Potiphar's wife tried to allure him into. He ends up in jail. He gets, uh, he, he um, deciphers a dream for the king, uh, the pharaoh. And the pharaoh takes him into his home. And then eventually he becomes the prime minister or the second in command of Egypt. That's an incredible story. But God did it all. But he had a faithful person that would listen to him and follow the things that he wanted and didn't get discouraged. It's an amazing thing. He's, do, he's doing the same thing with us in the sanctification process. He's bringing us through life. We all have a different path. We have other people in our path with us in our life. But it's to look at the Lord and know what he wants and to carry it out. You know, And we make mistakes. We fall down. And he reaches down, he picks us up, wipes the dust off, slaps you on the back and says, okay, keep on going. You're okay. You're going to make it. Um, so Jacob tells us that what we see in Joseph's life is a pattern for what the Lord will do to bring his Messiah to Israel. 
Um, Jacob speaks of the tremendous blessings in verse 25 and 26. Joseph received from the Lord a blessing that even exceeded that giving to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why a lot of people try to put him next in line in that order of patriarchs. The only way to understand that statement is see it as one final picture of Christ in the life of Jesus. You can look at him and see Christ working in his life and every aspect of his life. Um, these statements of unsurpassed blessing are references to the blessing also for the future. The Father will bestow upon the Son when the Son comes into the world, this universe, this world, in the second coming. In his glory and in his reign on earth, the time when he will wear the crown on his head. And we'll be there. All of us will be there. Finally, Benjamin gets the blessing in verse 27. Benjamin is the last son. He's a warrior. As it's described here, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. They're pretty wild. I mean, if you've ever gone to uh, uh, see a wolf or anything like that, they're beautiful. But, you know, you don't want to get on the wrong side of the wolf. In the morning, he devours the prey, and in the evening, he divides the spoil. In verse 28, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them. And when he blessed them, he blessed them, everyone with the blessing appropriate to him. All right. Benjamin's told that he will be a warring tribe. It's going to be a war. Often victorious and successful. He will divide the spoils with his brothers. He'll come back. and There's, there's people from the tribe of Benjamin today in the nation of Israel. And I'll bet you for the most part they're soldiers. But everybody in Israel is a soldier. You know, at the age of 18, um, young men and young women have to serve in the military. Two years minimum for the, for the boys and one year for the, for the girls. And then they go beyond that. Uh, but every man is uh, obligated to the army till they're 45 if they've seen service in some type of conflict or anything like that, and 55 if they have not. But I don't think many of them get 55 because there's always something going on in Israel. There's always people trying to wipe them out and do these things. But they have a great mind. They have incredible in the military area. We used to sell things to Israel, like the F-16 for one, and... um, we would look at it the way it was when it was sold to them. And they had every bell and whistle the U.S. pilots had. And then about a year later, you'd look at that same plane and look at things on there that you couldn't imagine. And they were added by the Israelis. They made it better. And then they gave us those. They transferred those to us. Among others, this tribe has produced a huge uh, king, King Saul, Jonathan, son of uh, David, Mordecai, Esther, and of course the Apostle Paul. He was proud to be called uh, a man from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, Warriors for the Lord can be powerful ministers of of great disappointments. The contrast is Paul was a great warrior and Saul was a great disappointment. But he wasn't the choice of the Lord. David became that choice. And look at the life that he had. Finally, in verse 28, Moses confirms these blessings were intended for more than just these boys. They extend to the tribes themselves completely. And each blessing was appropriate and just what the Lord intended. 
he, he carried off what he said he was going to do through this Jacob's prophecy. And then comes the end of Jacob's life, and he gives instructions concerning the disposition of his body. So I'll read in uh, the last few verses here, verse 29 to 33. Then he charged them and said to them, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. This is the land that was got uh, through Abraham back when Sarah died. And uh, verse 30, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. In 31, they, there they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah. And there I buried Leah. You know, we see throughout the Bible that he favored Leah, I mean uh, Rebekah. You know, even in the work, when he first went to, to work for Laban, he wanted that woman. But uh, Laban, you know, snuck Leah in and he became his first wife. And then he worked some more time and then uh, Rebecca uh, became his wife. But the one he, he was buried with is Sarah, which is interesting. Um, because it was his first wife and the ones to uh, get the tribe and the, and the nation of Israel moving. In verse 32, the field and the cave that is in it purchased from the sons of Heth. In verse 33, when Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. It's kind of interesting, right? Excuse me, I've got to get in bed and I'm leaving. But he had enough strength to go through what he went through. And he was bowing down. He was on the, you know, like a lion and all this stuff. God gave him a lot of strength in the end. And then when he was done, took his last breath and he went home to be with the Lord. So looking back on this chapter, we've seen many varied lives. Perhaps all of us can relate to one part of their lives or all of their lives in, in different ways. Maybe a number of people today, a number of us today, are discouraged and downright anxious or depressed about their lives and the way they have lived them and think that there's no hope. But we know there's a hope. We saw it in Jacob. We saw him come through his life. We saw him being devious and evil and turn out to be a shining star for God in the end. There's hope for all of us. Now is the time to repent. We need to repent. We should repent and start back on the path that Jesus has laid out individually and collectively for us as a group of Christians, as a church, as a family. You know, it's very important when I look at my family to, I'm just, I want everybody to be saved. They're not there yet. But I keep on praying, pray every day. Lord, I know, I know it can happen. I know it can happen. I know it can happen. Because I've seen it happen in me. Because I'm sure there was people praying for me same way like this guy's a lost cause you know he's a punk he's this he's that but at the end of the day somehow the Lord reached me right and that's what we should be doing collectively for this nation and the world Um, as we reflect on Jacob's story I love the ending I think it's an awesome ending if God can take a man like Jacob a man who schemed his way out of every situation you know Scheming a way along through life. We know people like that. Maybe we've been like that once in a while. A man who impatiently tried to fix problems his own way. I can help you out, Lord. 
You know, you know, you can't get it done right. You need me to help. That kind of thing. Yeah. What a joke that is. A man who fought with God rather than rested in God. Fought, 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 wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. And then he finally, uh, the Lord put his uh, hip out of joint. And then what did he do? He gave in. Whatever that symbol is, it's the symbol of the battle's over. Just listen to me. And he blessed him and changed his name to Israel. Um, if God can take a man like this and bring him to the point where he could become so in tune with God that he speaks of future events with stunning clarity. He couldn't have did this way back when. But at the end of his life, he had come so far that God could pour out his glory in the words that he had to say to the people that he had to say it to. And those words are still going on. The nation of Israel will be there. They're never going to go away. And it's so important for this nation to be an ally and a partner with the nation of Israel. Okay, We shouldn't turn our backs on them. We should help them. We should reach out to them. It's a small country. It's about the size of New Jersey. But it's the, the news of the world is all over Israel today. Why? Every day, every week, every month. Because Satan is afraid of the power that's going to come through that nation in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, his eyes were nearly gone. His spiritual vision was unmatched. He saw the vision ahead. Then there's hope for all of us, and that hope is Jesus Christ. If God can take a man like this and bring him to the point that he learns, leans back in his bed, gets up, hops in that bed, he leans back, so confident in God's grace and promises, he believed every word of it, that he welcomes his death. Okay, Lord, take me home. I want to go. And the Lord took him home. It's amazing. For the Christian, death is tough on us for our families, and it's, um, it's very, very gut-wrenching. But to know that the, a person is a Christian, it's like, okay, we're, we're going to depart from each other's company for a while. But we're going to eventually be together in heaven. We're going to see each other. We're going to walk with each other. We're going to talk to each other. We're going to listen to all sorts of great things, you know, with our Savior. So there's, there's hope for all God's children. So let's continue our walk with Jesus through communication with him. It's called prayer. And communication from him called the word of God. We have it right here. We can look at it any time of the day. Nobody's grabbing us and saying, give me that, take that away from you. We have the freedom to do it. And, and the Bible is there. A lot of us have a lot of Bibles. And some days you don't even read them. You know, and said, man, I got five Bibles, but I'm not looking at them. You know, we need to look at it every day. And it's more like, it isn't like having a task list. It's more like schedule. When you schedule tasks and schedule things, you keep on track. You look at them and you move ahead with that. Even in life itself, even in work, you know, you can make a list of things and you, you reprioritize them. But if you put it to a schedule, say at 9 o'clock I'm doing this, or 9.30 I'm doing that, or 12 o'clock I'm doing that, we complete them a lot better. Let's see what we can do in our lives when we start and end our day with him. We end our day with Jesus. So this is our legacy. Let our legacy be known 
as they loved and followed Jesus through the way they lived their lives. That's what we want. We want to see that in ourselves, our family to see us in that, our neighbors, people we work with. Say, hey, I remember him or I remember her. They were sold out for Jesus. They followed him. They walked the path. They walked the way that he gave them. And they walked all the way to heaven. So let's finish in prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for this day. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for Jesus, our great Savior, Lord. And as we go out today, Lord, I just pray that you renew our strength, you renew our vigor to um, take the word to others. And, Lord, that we would be a blessing to all who we come in contact with, Lord. And they would ask the question, what makes that person tick? And we can answer them, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, the keeper of the universe and the only way to heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.